0: Good morning, morning. morning. I have uh, been thinking about today's message uh, since, I guess, since October, um, since we started talking about it. So, those of you know, we've been in a series based on a book by Greg Peters called The Monkhood of All Believers. We're calling it um, Cultivating a Space Within, and we talked about how to create an inner space where you could find time to be alone with God, even when you're in a group of people. And then we're talking about the three monastic vows and how we could apply the three monastic vows to our lives today. And the reason we're kind of starting the new year with this is because we're kind of taking, number one, this is a year of living spaciously. So we're giving God room to work in our lives and allowing God to take us to new levels, right? Because sometimes we get kind of plateaued in our faith and we want to kind of go a little further. And so part of that is examining how do these vows work. So last week, we talked about the vow of poverty. And so the vow of poverty is, you know, could sum it up by just saying simply like this. And, and James addressed it wonderfully. So I don't want to go back all through what he said. But basically, you could say it is the need to not have. Right? It's wrong, like, oh, I need, I need. It was the need to not have. Well, today, and this will kind of... Kind of makes some cringe. We're talking about chastity. You're like, oh, chastity, oh, do we really want to talk about this? The monastic vow of chastity, come, sometimes it's called the monastic vow of celibacy, but we're using the term chastity because it's, it's, it's really this loaded term. It conjures up plenty of preconceived ideas, right? You know, we all get together, oh, we're going to be chaste people. And then for teenagers, it's like, oh, make sure we, we have our, put on your, your your promise ring, right? Remember from the 80s the promise rings, and and my kids are like, "What's a promise ring?" I don't know what that is, <laughs> which is really good. I'm glad you don't, because it was like it was a ring of shame, really, is what it was. Um, and and so, y- we so you think about the vow of chastity. Well, we're swearing off physical intimacy with with members of of, of either sex. We're handing out promise rings to the teenagers. And and really. It has all these connotations, and they're really just not good. Perhaps this will make you more holy if you take a vow of chastity, right? I mean, well, this is the best path forward. Okay? But I want to make one good statement here for you. You can forever renounce all sexual relations and yet still be a jerk. You can be a jerk. Just because you have taken a monastic vow of chastity and are now celibate doesn't change how you interact with others, be it good or bad. So our ideas about chastity are probably misplaced. And how we have kind of assigned the term to mean one thing has probably taken us somewhere it was never meant to go. So chastity's got to mean something more than just that, right? Because if that's it, then then none of us are really interested in talking about this. And then it's like, are we really going to talk about it? Yes, we really are. But you're going to be really surprised at what we talk about. Because, you know, when you get up here and you see that, you walk and you're like, ooh, maybe today was the day I went to IHOP instead of going to church. I mean, be honest. You see that and you're like, oh, we're getting uncomfortable now. But that's not what we're going to talk about. So turn in your Bibles. we got some passages today. You know I'm always going to read lots of passages. That's just me. The book of Matthew, chapter 4. Oh, we're reading, talking about chastity out of there? Yeah, we're going to start here. And then we're going to go to Acts, and then we're going to go to Peter, and then we're going to go to Philippians, and we're going to finish up in John. Um, Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Then Jesus i got to hold this back. Have any of you got to that point now where you're actually moving things away? But in order for me to see you, I have to leave my glasses on. If I want to see this, I have to t- It's really this bizarre kind of place. That's really not part of it. I, I'm actually taking, like, I'm getting on to be like James now. He's coming off of me. You just go off and do a tangent. He's like, oh, come back. Sorry. <laughs> then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. All right, now we're going to go to verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot upon the stone. This is actually a quote um, from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So notice the first thing about this is we're talking about the temple, right? The pinnacle of the temple. So what do we know about the original temple? It was big. And it was always what? Crowded. Everybody would have been there. Hundreds, thousands of people on a daily basis in the temple. Coming to offer sacrifice, coming to pray, coming to worship. Go today to Israel and stand before the wailing wall. There'll be crowds there every day. Okay? So that's the first thing to notice about this. It's there for all to see. Take them up on the temple. Everybody's going to see you. What would happen then if you threw yourself off and then you came floating down? Well, it'd be a miracle, wouldn't it? A miraculous sign. Witnessed by thousands. There's no denying this. It would give you instant credibility, Jesus. Now remember, we're in the the wilderness being tempted, so Jesus has not started active ministry yet. Okay, So here's the temptation. Instant credibility, mega church status, multi-site, campuses throughout the world, all centered on you. There could be no denials of this display of power. So what is he saying? In other words... Show them. Show them. This is a temptation that Jesus gets hit with. It's not the devil wanting for Jesus to prove who he is. Don't misunderstand this. The devil knows who Jesus is, right? Even the demons are like, oh who are you? The son of God, Why, why have you come to tempt me? They already know who this is. This is a temptation for Jesus to prove to others who he is. I don't need you to prove it to me, but maybe you should prove it to them. Show them. Doing this will confirm to everyone who you are. Use your power to convince everyone to follow you. Using power, magic, mystical wonder to become the ruler and establish his kingdom on the earth. That's what this is about right here. That's what I want you to see here is that this temptation is not about tempting God. You know, which is how Jesus responds. This temptation is about Jesus being disobedient about how this ministry is going to take place. Using power, magic, mystical wonder, here it is, to get people to do your will. That's the essence of this temptation. This isn't about convincing Satan of who Jesus was. It was about Jesus convincing the world who he was. And we're talking about chastity. Are you beginning to understand now that what you had in mind when you walked in and started thinking about chastity is not really what we're talking about today? So everybody can be like, oh <laughs> Right? But that's because you have a misconception about what the word is actually means, what's behind it. It's not what we're talking about. It's not what chastity really is about. Turn over into Acts now. Acts chapter 8. This passage, Acts 8 and verse uh, 9, gets lost in the narrative of the early church. And it's a great story. And it's a wonderful contrast about what we just read. And this will kind of bring it all into focus for you. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 13 says this. Now, let me give you a little background. This is right around the time of Stephen has just been stoned. The Apostle Paul, who is Saul, he's throwing rocks and he's chasing down everybody. And so it, it takes us to Philip who is out preaching and great things are happening And it's especially in Samaria and the Holy Ghost Falls and and the, the church is being widened and people are coming to faith and so it brings us to this one person now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in this woo wondrous displays of power see the connection here right I practiced magic in the city and amazed people in Samaria, saying that he was someone, what's that word? Great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. Now, we're not talking about magic today, okay? So... Don't go to Vegas and tell David Copperfield he's the, he's the, the devil. That's not what I'm talking about. All right. So so then we have the story goes on. Simon listens to Philip, comes to faith, is baptized, and then the church sends um, Peter and some of the other disciples there, and they start praying for people, and they receive the Holy Ghost. And then we pick up at verse 18. Alright? Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. This is really not about the money. This is about what was in his heart. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. All of of this can be boiled down into two words. Okay? And this goes back to the temptation, the second temptation of Christ. Two words. Influence and manipulation. That's what this is about. Influence and manipulation. Influence and manipulation lead to power. Influence and manipulation lead to self-gratification. Influence and manipulation lead to control. Put it simply like this. Influence and manipulation are the very opposite of self-sacrificial love. Simon wants this power because he wants to be influential. He wants to be great. He wants to have authority. He wants to be doing things that people have to look to him for. I want to be influential. Oh, you you want something from God? Well, come on to my church and let me lay hands on. Manipulation. This is exactly precisely what Jesus was rejected when he refused to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. He refused to use his power and authority to influence and manipulate people into following him. You never see that out of Jesus the whole time. Never. He preaches his messages, he tells people, love one another. He tells people, hey, you've heard it said love your friends and hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies. He says, love God and love your neighbor. This is the whole fulfillment of the law. Constantly giving, constantly pouring himself out. Here's, here's the, the, the really the interesting part. No, he will not throw himself off the pinnacle to display his power. The only times he displays miraculous power is when in the service of No, I will not float down from the temple so everybody can see me, but I will heal you of of leprosy. No, I'm not going to float in the air for you, but I will open your blind eyes. It's always about someone else. The temptations always come come back. At one point, the Pharisees, know they ask him, hey, show us a sign so that we'll believe. Doesn't that sound familiar? Come off the, throw yourself off and float down. Show us a sign. You know, Jesus could be, all right, all right, let me just let me levitate up three feet. Okay, now you're satisfied. Okay, now you can believe me. Oh, he never says that. He says a foolish and corrupt generation seeks a sign. So what's the point of all this? The modern vow of chastity is this. The vow never to use unjust power or authority over others. It is a vow to never attempt to influence and or manipulate others to get them to do your will. That's what chastity is about. It's the refusal to do these things. I will not try to control others. I will not try to get people to bend them to my will. I will not manipulate someone into getting them to do what I want them to do. And what is the essence of manipulation? Manipulation. It's convincing someone who doesn't realize you're convincing them. Right? Oh, wasn't, I, wasn't that clever? They didn't even know it. They didn't even know I was manipulating them into the path I wanted them to take. Living a chaste life says, no, I won't do that. Turn over to First Peter. Chapter 2, because Peter also addresses this. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 1. Oh, I love this. This is so good. And I'm going to use some Greek, so hooray. <laughs> I'm glad I paid for all this Greek software, and, and I'm, like, I'm never going to use this, and I keep finding myself, well, maybe I'll use it once. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all, see this word here? Guile. Ooh. Insincerity. Mm. Envy and all slander. The word guile there. The Greek word is dalos. And it means to take advantage through craft or underhanded methods. The translation for the word can come down to three basic things. Treachery. Deceit. But here's the one that I really like. Cunning. Rid yourself of these things. Oh, isn't he really cunning in the way that he can get people to do what he wants them to do? And Peter is saying, "Mm -mm, you should rid yourself of that. What's a great modern word for being cunning? Manipulative. You ever notice when someone's being manipulative and you can kind of sense it and just you're trying to manipulate don't do that don't be like that yeah well all of them for sure it's all about that getting people to believe what you believe getting them to do what you want them to do rid yourself of these things is what he's saying rid yourself of trying to be so influential rid yourself of being manipulative rid yourself of trying to exert power over others don't do this this is what chastity is about when you take a modern vow of chastity, you are vowing to keep your desires for control, power, and influence within yourself and never to extend your desires, placing them over someone else. And you can see how we would take chastity and we would just apply it to one thing. Well, I just won't, I won't touch someone else. Oh, that's just, that's, just, that's it's not really, it's such a small part. Chastity says, I will not take chastity unjust, undue power over another. I will not try to manipulate another. I will not try to undo influence over another. And this is why Jesus would not jump off the pinnacle. If people will follow me, they'll follow me because of what I preach. They're not going to follow me because I convinced them that I have all this power and I've manipulated their emotions in order to follow me. Let's turn over to Philippians. Oh, this gets even better. Philippians chapter 2. Paul addresses this very thing. This is a tough one. Because this one is one we don't really like to listen to. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves that's a vow of chastity. Let each of you look not to your own interests. In other words, being self-centered and always thinking of yourself. But to the interests of others, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And here we are. We're going back to the temptation in in the pinnacle here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words... I'm equal with God. I have power of God. I could exploit that. I could use that and convince the world to follow me. He says, did not regard equality as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave being born in human likeness and f- being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on the This is what we're talking about. As you start the new year, this is where we're kind of looking at. You vow to stop doing these things, to give this up. The modern vow of chastity regards others as better than self. Do you see any? let's, Let's look at the news. One side says we're better, the other side says we're better. Follow me. No, 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 he's bad. He'll take you to a bad place. Follow me. No, 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 he's bad, or she's bad, or whoever's bad. Follow me instead. Constantly influencing, manipulating. How many self-help books have you seen on Amazon or in Barton's and Noble? How to get ahead in life. How to influence others. How to not be chased with your power. It recognizes that selfish ambition and conceit are the very opposite of self limitation and self sacrifice. Christ did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he chose the opposite path. The opposite path. So then that brings us to the obvious question How do we, in 2020, how do we apply this to ourselves? If we really want to create space within, if we really want to move to a new place in God, to a place of growth, and and again, don't even take this in terms of being self-focused. How can I get to a place where I love others better? How can I get to a place where I'm more self-sacrificial, where I follow Christ in this path? Let's look at a couple of ways. In your families. As it relates to our children, and man, I had to write this one down. I had to look at it over and over again. Stop using words as weapons against our children. You know, there was always one word that was always right in the back of my arsenal. Right? I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah, you hear, right? <laughs> they don't want to hear. Don't make me pull that, that sword out because, I mean, I'll pull it out if I need to be. I'm going to hold that over you. Words as weapons. How about in our relationships? Both in marriage and out. We really have to stop pushing buttons to score points to win arguments. This is just in families. Because man, there's no easier person to find buttons to push than those who are closest to us. And in relationships, withholding as a tool of coercion. Oh, intimacy, affection, conversation. Well, you want those things? Then I'm going to need you to change and do something else. I'm going to manipulate. How about at work? Trying to get ahead at at the expense of another. Degrading a coworker, not to the coworker's face, mind you. Oh no, 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 no. We must be cunning with this. We're kind of tearing them down. Man, that was a really great sermon today, wasn't it? I think James was a little off today. What do you think? I mean, I love James and I think he's great, but I, I don't know. Maybe we should really talk to him. Maybe it's time that he's just we should push him out the door. I don't know. I'm not. I, it's all about serving the church. What do you think, James? Oh, it sounds so loving, doesn't it? But man, I just like the daggers right in the back. Hey, we're just we're just praying for you. We just want to pray for you. Thank God. And in my heart, it's I just want to pray that God would move you. <laughs> we can laugh about it, but but in the business world, I mean, we can. This is this is unchaste behavior. The vow of chastity says, no, 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 I won't do this. So, compare Jesus refusing to throw himself off the temple, to float down, to influence others with power and splendor. And instead, we have another story. Every Sunday, after we pray, we take communion. And every Sunday, James tells us a story, right? He says, want to tell you a story, which he's going to do again today. About the Last Supper. There's a part of the story that tends to get lost because it's only recorded in one gospel. It's only recorded once of the four, but it's part of the same meal. At the end of the supper, John tells us that Jesus knew his time was come. So they've already had the bread and the wine. And he gets down, stands up, stands down from the table, takes off his robe, grabs a towel, drapes it over his arm, picks up a basin of water, and he kneels at each disciple's feet and begins to wash them cleaning them off. you That's servants and slaves do that, right? You understand that. That's gross. You know where these feet have been? And your feet smell. I have teenagers. Their feet stink. (laughs) And I don't want to touch them or go anywhere near them. It's true. You guys know it's true. That's right. Poor me. I have to smell the shoes. But Jesus... Gets down and he washes each disciple's foot. Each foot. Both of them. He's washing. He's going by. He drives them off. And then Peter says, Hey, uh, you're not washing my feet. No way. You're the Lord. You no. And you know what Jesus says? He looks at him and he says, If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of this. Because you still don't get it, do you? You still think this is about kingdoms and kings and emperors and influence and manipulation and everybody following you and let's lift up the throne on high that I get to sit on. So Jesus finishes. Puts the basin down. Puts the towel down. Puts his robe back on. And he sits down and he says this. After he washed their feet, he put on his robe and had returned to the table. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Instead of floating down from the pinnacle of the temple, he washes the disciples' feet. Instead of exalting himself as this all-powerful and mystical ruler that can never be challenged, he takes on the form of a servant. Instead of power over others, he chooses to serve. Instead of manipulating people to following him, he washes their feet. The vow of chastity if you're serious about following in the ways of Christ, the vow of chastity says self-sacrificial love is the key to the kingdom of God. Self-glorification is the very opposite. And even in the garden, Jesus says, not what I want. Even at the very end, he's still saying, it's not about me. I will not be preeminent here. It will always be about others. That's what chastity is about. And that's how we begin to create this spacious place in us. As we begin to empty ourselves and saying others before self. You before me. Let me serve you. No, let me serve you. No, let me serve you. And you have a whole bunch of people who want to serve one another. And it's all based in love. This is what it looks like. So it's time to pray. And and as we pray, I want us to really kind of take an examination of where we are. And how we deal with others. And how we walk with others. Now, I I, I preached a, a fairly pointed sermon today. But but as with everything I ever teach here, it's always like I really wish I hadn't had to learn that the hard way before I taught on it, but this is one of these things. I've learned the hard way about manipulation. I've had people call me out on it. Tim, I know what you're doing. You're not going to get away with this. Get away with what? I'm just being cunning and clever. But these vows that we're talking about, the vow of poverty, the vow of chastity, the vow of obedience, which is next week. This is really meant to challenge us from where we are. I mean, sure, we can stay in one spot in our Christian walk and never go any further, never grow any further. Oh, Jesus knows me, I'll go to heaven one day, great. But that's not what he calls us to be. He wants you to walk constantly with him. And so it's always this kind of, this kind of path of self-examination. And the monks, that's all they do during the day is they, they're self-examining. Who am I? What am I? What's here? Would it just be just so much easier just to jump off the pinnacle and everybody worships me and that's that? Yes. So much easier to manipulate others and get them to do what you want. Get your way. Yes. it's not the Jesus way and so I have to look inside my heart and say okay am I walking a Jesus path or am I walking a Tim path and quite often it's a Tim path and that's a path that doesn't lead anywhere good